So 1 John 3, verse 1. John writes, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Some translations say lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did, it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Looking forward to that day. Verse 3 says, and everyone who has this hope in him, in himself, purifies himself just as he is pure. One more time, verse 1. Behold, what manner what kind of, what sort of love the Father God has lavished, bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful this morning for the reminder, God, that you are Father. And today what we want to do, Lord, is we want to behold. Fix our gaze on your love on the manner of love, the sort of love, God, that has made us your children. So that's what I pray today, Lord Jesus. I pray that though I'm up here on a stage and I'm visible to every person seated here, God, I pray, Lord, that, that the focus and the main attraction and the one that we're beholding and hearing from here today, Jesus, we pray it's you. Lead us, Jesus, today to behold the Father in a real way. We pray and we ask like Moses today, God, would you show us your glory? Would you show us your glory as the Father who has lavished us with such great love through your son, Jesus? We pray that you would do that. God, I pray over every person here that you would work in that way right now, even as we get into your word. Use your word as a sword to pierce into our hearts. We ask ultimately, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be amplified through my voice. Speak to us. We need your voice, God. Like, a ch like children need to hear from their dad. We need to hear from you today, God. So speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. So what we're trying to do here today, typically we're in the book of Colossians. But this morning, there's something specific that we're trying to do. With, with all that we're doing today, through having a Father's Day service, through encouraging and inviting all of our dads to stand, to gifting each of you with a s'more. We're trying to say something today. We're taking the time as a church to break away from the book of Colossians because something needs to be said here in our community, certainly here in our world on Father's Day, and it's this simple truth, dads really matter. That's what we're trying to say. Fathers matter. That, that's what actually honoring is. You know, to honor something, to honor someone, is to ascribe someone or something value. It's why maybe recently you went to Best Buy or Bed Bath & Beyond with an old coupon, and you brought it in, and even though it said 1997 on it, you wanted that new Dyson Vac that wasn't even invented when it came out, but you wanted that Dyson Vac for the discounted rate, but you brought it in, and because it was expired, they wouldn't what? They wouldn't honor it. They wouldn't, there was no value that they would ascribe to this coupon. That's what honor is. We are, as a people, we're, we're called to be an honorable people and an honoring people. The Bible tells us specifically, specifically when we're children, but to all people in general, that we should honor who? Fathers and mothers. 
A lot of times we look at that as a specific command for children, right? Children, do it. And it's directed to children in the Bible. But there's a greater principle there. What Paul says, even here, uh, even in the book of Colossians that we're studying, and in Ephesians, and when the law in the Ten Commandments says, hey, children, honor your parents, it's this greater principle that's saying there's something valuable about the role of mom and dad that needs to be recognized, right? And certainly on Father's Day, we want to recognize dad. Uh, we believe that you, you really, you matter. Um, in the sense that your presence and your role, it has a major effect on the trajectory and the destiny of your family. Like, that's what's, that's, when something's valuable, that's, that's how it comes into play. When something's valuable, the gain of it is, is productive. It produces things. But the loss of it is negative. It, it reduces things. Um, there's some, you could say, scatter statistics, a lot of different views out there. But um, one of the most recent from the Fatherhood Initiative revealed that there's about 24 million children in, the, in this country without fathers. 24 million. Um, and the effects of this have, have, again, been varied, but have proven some, some serious consequences and benefits. When there's a dad in the picture, when there's not. For, for example, um, some statistics show that, that children in a home without a dad, they face the risk of poverty four times greater. Um, teens are, are seven times more likely to become pregnant. Children are more likely to face abuse and neglect. They're more likely to have behavioral problems. They're more likely to commit crime. More likely to abuse drugs. Um, this is an interesting one. Children are two times more likely to suffer obesity. There's two times a greater risk of infant mortality in homes without dad. Now, some basic modern statistics that show when dad is in the picture, it matters. When dad's not in the picture, it has a negative effect. And this is not just something in, in the culture. This is something that's ingrained into the very heart of God and is woven into the narrative of Scripture. The value of dad is seen in a lot of different places in the Bible where, where we see God's heart for fatherless families. Have you read these verses about fatherless families? James chapter 1 is a great one. James 1 says that pure... An undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. A lot of people today want to be religious, right? They want to have a, a, a pious, spiritual persona and life. They want to be about religious things. And James says, okay, if you want to be a religious person, let's not confuse religion with relationship with God that comes through Jesus, but if you're about wanting to be really religious, here's how you can have a pure and undefiled religion. If you want to be religious, it's not about the number of stars you have on your church attendance card. It's not about how many books of the Bible you've read or how many verses you've memorized. Pure and undefiled religion before God is to have his heart for fatherless families. It's to care about the orphan. It's to care about the widow. We see God's heart is so large for these fatherless families that he even at times in, in the word of God will assert himself and describe himself as a father to these families. Psalm 68, verse 5, look at this. God says, or the author says, that God is a father of the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. The value of dad. So much so that God says, hey, church, this is what you should be about. And when you're not about these things, I want you to know that who I am towards the orphan and the widow is I assert myself I have a fatherly heart towards that family. 
know, there's some of you who are in here today and you go, man, I wish I had a father to celebrate Father's Day with. Or I do have a father, but I don't really want to celebrate him. And here's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is you have a good, good father. And he asserts himself in, in fatherless lives. He knows the value of dad. And so I believe this. In light of that, because this is God's heart for the church to care for fatherless families, for himself to be a father to fatherless, you know, God is also passionate about producing fathers. He wants to raise up fathers in these families. He wants to raise up not just any kind of father, not just a dad to wear, you know, best dad hat, you know, kind of thing and, and, and be there in proximity, but he's looking to raise up fathers that are after his image and likeness. That's what he does. That's what he's done even in many of your families. In fact, there's this, I don't have it on the screen, but there's this really interesting end to the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. It's one of the last verses in the book of Malachi where there's this promise about the coming Messiah and that he would return the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Something that God does, it's amazing, when he gets a hold of a dad's life. Have you seen this happen before? It transforms the family. It changes and alters destiny and future and outcome. It's what God is looking to do. And I think one of the main reasons is because there's a lack of fathers today. There's a lack of it. Uh, even Paul talks about this. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 4. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, he said, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, Paul says, I have begotten you through the gospel. You know, even today in the church, right, there's a lack of fathers. Paul's like, there's no shortage of podcasts. There's no shortage of great instruction and teaching and listen to this person on this day, go to this church on this day, and I go to this YouTube channel. There's no lack of instruction today in the church, but there is a lack of construction. There is a lack of building up in a relationship where sons in the faith and daughters in the faith can have spiritual fathers. So God is looking not just in the church to produce instructors, he's looking to produce constructors. Spiritual dads that can step into the picture and lead people along in discipleship. You know, I want to say that this is our heart as a church. Our heart is that we wouldn't just be a church that's reduced to Sunday instruction. Amen? We don't just want to be about we get together, we learn, we leave, and that's it. No. We're not a learn and leave and forget kind of people. We gather here on Sundays to get into the Word of God, to be instructed to go out and do the Word of God. That's why we learn. Jesus said, make disciples who obey my word. We get together to, listen, not sit on the sidelines and watch some like top 10 play preacher sermon do his thing. Oh, that, was a, that wasn't the top 10. That was top 20 maybe. You know, but that's not what we're doing. We gather here, listen, to huddle up and to read the play. To be instructed to go out to execute the play on the field. And that requires more than just instructors. That requires fathers. It requires coaches. And I believe God's heart, listen, is to raise up fathers. Raise up fathers in his image and his likeness. And, you know, I believe that this has been true from the beginning. Think about it. God's vision from the creation of humanity in this world was a vision that involved Adam being a father. Through Adam and Eve coming together, reproducing, 
reproducing new life. But specifically, when we look at the Father, we see God made man in his image. And he commissioned man in his image to reflect God as Father, to go into the world, to multiply, to produce sons after God's image, who would go and do the same. That was the, the, the mandate in the book of Genesis. Now, a lot of times, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make with the faith, with Christianity, with the Bible, with the gospel, is we start in Genesis 3, and we end in somewhere at the end of the Gospels. We forget there's, a, there's some bookends there that are awesome. Yes, there's fall and there's redemption, but the Bible gives us more than that. The Bible gives this narrative of creation, of intention. And when God made everything in the beginning, it was beautiful. It was right. The world mattered. And there was this vision through man and woman that God would impart to them in, in some gracious way his own authority and rule. And he would trust them to carry out his rule and to beautify this world for the sake of human flourishing and the glory of God. That was the vision, to cultivate the earth. And with that vision was this commission to also to bear children and to raise them up to one day leave mom and dad and go do the same. Not when they're 40 either, you know? Like, like to be intentional. I'm raising you up, I'm discipling, I'm leading, and I'm commissioning you out to reproduce. From the very beginning, God had this vision of sons who would become fathers in his image. They would be fathered and learn what God is like, and through beholding what God is like, they would go out and replicate that, reproduce that. Um, if you know the story, it doesn't go that way. Um, there's a break in the system. There's a crack in the vision because in the garden... Instead of living as sons of God as Heavenly Father, humanity willingly subjected ourselves to instead become slaves of sin. It's what we've all done. We're made in God's image to know Him personally, to be in relationship with Him, but we've chosen instead to turn away from God. Each one of us, every person in this world, the Bible says all have sinned, every one of us, and fallen short of the glory of God. We've wanted our elbow room. We've backed away. We said, no, God, I want it on my own terms. And in doing so, in rejecting God is Father, we've become slaves of sin. And when you look at Genesis, what you see in the first 11 chapters after this fall is you see the effects of this break in the system. And it looks nothing like God's intended vision in Genesis 1. You know, a lot of people look at the book of Genesis sometimes and they're like, how, how can this be inspired by God, right? Have you read this book? It's pretty crazy. There's some stuff I can't even, I feel like I should, can you read this in church, you know? Like, it gets pretty gnarly. It gets pretty rated R. Like, you know? Like, it gets bad. And a lot of times it's like, how does God condone? Now, sometimes people look at Genesis and they go, Could, does God condone all this chaos that's going on in this world? And no, you know what Genesis is? It's like a case study of what happens when man rejects God. And you see the detriment of human, this downward spiral, it climaxes. In Genesis 6, the Bible says that the world was filled with violence and God's heart was filled with pain. That's where the story goes. God had this vision of raising up fathers from the beginning to father in his image, to reproduce fathers in his image that would cover the earth with God's glory and the blessing of God on the earth. The crack in the system is sin. And then God, because he's gracious, he steps in again, right? That's why God is so good. Some people have called, when you look at the story of Genesis, uh, this three-part act that sets the course of history in motion. You have creation, God's intention and vision. Then you have decreation. 
which is the brokenness of humanity tearing apart what God created. But then because God is gracious, you have recreation. You God saying, God saying, because I'm gracious, listen, this thing's a mess, but I'm going to step in. And, and what does God do? Let's think about this. As the world is falling apart, as it's wiped clean, and God has to start from scratch through, through a family line, he visits a man named Abram, the father of many nations. And he tells Abram, Abram, I'm going to change your name to Abraham. Abram, many. Abraham, the father of many. Think about this. God is re recreating his vision. So he recreates a father. And he goes, okay, this whole father-system thing has been broken by sin. So he starts with Abraham. And then, let's just be honest, it doesn't get any better. Like, you, okay, a new start. This is going to be great. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Then you read, the, it's just so depressing. You read, people are like, the Bible's hard to read. Not because it's long, because it's sad. And it's like, look what's going on. And, but listen, all along, God is promising. Promising to restore his vision. And then what does he do? He sends his son. He sends Jesus. And Jesus, when he comes to earth, he comes, listen, to reveal who? The father. He comes to show, listen, we've, we've all been cut off from our father. We, we, don't, we don't know what it's like to be fathered or to father because we've never been fathered. Most of us only know how to father the way we've been fathered. And most of us don't know how to father because we don't know God as father. And so Jesus comes in his grace, and he says this in John 1.18. Uh, the Bible says that no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. So much so that when the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, you're a great teacher, you're a great healer and all, and you've, we've seen you do some awesome things. But as, as Jews, what we really desire is like Moses, is to see God. We want to see God's glory. And they said, they said this to him. What a, what, a beautiful, what a beautiful expression of the humankind, which is this. They said this. Show us the Father. It's what every single human being doesn't know that they're asking. Show, show me the Father. Show me what God's like. I've had so many flawed examples. I've even had good examples, but even the best dad doesn't satisfy the longing I have to be fathered by God. So Jesus, show me the Father. And here's Jesus' response. He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. I've come to reveal to you God the Father. And more than that, not only did Jesus come to give us that vision of what God the Father is like, C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, the son of man, son of God, became a man to enable men to become sons of God. So Jesus shows us the father, and then he, listen, he brings us into relationship again with the father. The son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is this, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive, as a Christian, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom now we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba means Papa or Daddy. It's the way your toddler or your four-year-old or your five-year-old speaks to you in a way that he doesn't speak to anyone else. It's intimate language. It's personal language. It's relational language. It's the spirit that you've received in Jesus. 
Not the spirit of bondage again. We were under that bondage. We were in slavery to sin. We were disconnected from our Heavenly Father. But Jesus, listen, he came to bring sons back to glory. To call daughters back to God. And right now you're going as a girl, you're like, okay, Andrew, not only is this the gospel for dads, but it's about sons. And it's been well said. Listen, okay, um, if men in the church can be the bride of Christ, you could be a son of God, okay? If I got to be the bride, okay, here comes Andrew the bride all dressed in white with the church. If I have to be that, you could be the son. And listen, and that's not like, and the reason why the Bible uses the language of sonship is it speaks of priority in the family. The one who would receive the inheritance. The one that would take, take over the family business. The one who is of the priority blessing. And so, trust me, we want to be sons of God. We desperately need to be children of God. And so that's what God does for us. The Bible says, and a lot of you know this verse, in John chapter 1, um, it's John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, but to all who received him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. And this is the cool part about, about this. Who are born in Christ, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, there's a, like, there's a, a, a very common sentiment that I think is pure in heart, but is false in reality. And it's this idea that we're all God's children. And we need to be, see, I think what some Christians have done to that is they go, you're not God's child. Yeah, Andrew, preach it. My neighbor, I know who their father is. Come on, let me tell you. Son of the devil, all right? <laughs> like, and I think for so long we've looked on and gone, oh, not a child. I am a child. I am anointed and appointed, too stressed to be blessed, all right? Daughter, and you're, I, so there's about five of you in here. You're Instagram by daughter of the most high, and you're that, you know? And that, listen, we should, but let's remember, okay? Let's get, some, let's get some theology worked in here. That should never, ever be our spirit when we look at the world around us. Here's our heart. God created every single person in this world in his image. Even as their mother conceived them in sin, they were fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And he designed every single person to be in relationship with him. That was the intention from the beginning, but through one man, death has spread and death through sin. And we've been cut off from God. So though we were all created to be the children of God, we're not all the children of God. But as many as received the Son. Maybe today that's all you need to do. Just receive Jesus. Receive Jesus as your Savior. Receive Jesus as your, as your Lord. And through receiving Jesus, you accept him into your heart. He's the one you've been missing. Because he's the one that provides the peace you're missing. It's relationship with God the Father. And when you receive the Son... You become a child of God. A son, a daughter of God. And that's what we read in 1 John. That's what the Christian faith is all about. Did you know this? A lot of you think that Christianity is about behaving. 
Maybe because that was your relationship with your father. Behaving. So now, um, as one author said, your problem is you haven't wiped your dad's face off of God's face. So your, your relationship with God is like your relationship with your earthly father, which involves got to do, got to be, got to perform, got to measure up. What do we just read in 1 John? Behold. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we shall become children of God. Christianity is not about behaving. It's about beholding. Christianity is not about your own performance and your ability to measure up to God. Your, your faith, your relationship with God from here on out is about beholding his love for you. Some of you are disconnected from God today, not because God has moved, but because you've moved, because you think your relationship with God is dependent upon your behavior. And you need to just get back to where John, it's like a command. Behold, check it out. <laughs> You're distracted, okay? Christian, here, here's what you gotta do. Stop. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Behold, fix your gaze. Look steadily upon Cast your attention upon the manner of love that the Father has bestowed on us that we shall be called children of God. It's, it's, it's what Christianity is about. And notice this, I love it, the manner of love. I think what, what, what John is saying is have a, have a good time. <laughs> this, is, this is our lives. This is kind of cool. Now and into eternity, we just get to learn more and more about this manner of love. I can't sum it up in one sermon, one sentence, one lifetime. But it's this manner of love that God has put on me that, listen, I think every day I wake up and I think I know, I've read, okay, I know God's love. I know what it is. You know, it's, it's this, and I do, you know, he loves me, you know. And God is faithful to bring us from glory to glory in our understanding of his love. That's what he wants to do with you. So Paul prays this in Philippians, uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 3. He says, he prays for the church of Ephesus, I pray that you would know the length, the height, the width, and the depth of God's love. It's really long, it's really high, it's really deep, it's really wide. And he's not saying, I hope you come to determine what the measurements are. That you would know the length, uh, it's uh, four meters, you know, like the width, it's, it's pretty wide, you know, wide load. Um, it's deep, really deep, it's really high, you know. He's saying, enjoy the journey of never coming to the end of God's love. Behold what, this is Christianity, guys, this is it. Like, like this is it. This is it. What have you made it? Because if it's not this, it's not Christianity. Behold what manner of love. Fix your gaze on what God has done for you to make you a slave to sin, a son of God. And listen, the reason why this is so important, behold, behold, why do we need to behold? Let's go back to our original idea, which is this. Through Christ, God makes the Father known to us. We know what God is again. We've lost sight of what fathering is. There's been a break in the system, in our homes. We've all felt, we've felt it. Even the most perfect father is sinful. Jesus says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Even the greatest dad among us is in desperate need of Jesus. And with that crack in the system, God sends Christ to reveal the father. To get our eyes off of earthly fathers, to get our eyes back on the heavenly father. Then he brings us back into relationship with God with the Father, so we can know the Father. Listen, so that, so that that vision in the garden can be restored. So that God can produce fathers in his image and likeness. Now, what do you mean? Well, it's this 
principle that I think applies very powerfully to this idea. It's the principle that, listen, what you behold determines who you become. What you behold determines who you become. So if all you do is behold your, some people didn't get the pun last week. Let me try to clean up my last week's sermon, okay? If all you do is behold the legal space list, okay, you will become a legalist, one word. If that's all you behold, if all you behold on earth is your earthly father, the only image you'll be able to bear as a father is an earthly father. It's just a father the way you've been fathered. And so I believe God knows this. So here's what God does, okay? How does God produce sons in Christ? Or sorry, let's back up. How does God today produce fathers in his image? How is he doing, How is he doing that in our church? How is he raising up fathers in here to fill the gap of where fathers are needed? You know what he does? He makes them sons. How do I become a better father, become a better son? It's not even about being better either, right? It's beholding your father. You know, and that's kind of contrary to what you'd expect on a Father's Day, right? Because what, what I should be up here saying is, be a better dad! Stop eating so many nachos, okay? Stop, stop, get off your iPhone. Behave, do better, be a better dad. The only way that you can be the dad that God called you to be is if you learn how to be a son. He makes fathers by making men sons. They behold the father, and then 2 Corinthians teaches this principle. Check us out. Here's, Christian, here's Christianity, remember? We said it's not about behaving, it's about beholding. It's about beholding God. And here's what God does by his spirit when we behold him. Check this out. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Uh, this is the best part. Just, like, like just, <laughs> just as by the Spirit of the Lord. A work of God's Spirit to take broken men, to take a broken system, to adopt sons who behold the manner of God's love, and then God, through them beholding, transforms them into the same image. You become what you behold. You become what you fix your gaze upon. And so Jesus, as the one who revealed the Father to us, he leads us to behold him in order that we might become more like him. That, that is how God is looking to raise up fathers. A few things, write this down, that we're called to behold. The first thing is, I want you to write this down, is I think that, by the way, there's, the manner of love is so wide and deep that there's like, I could probably have a 50-point sermon and still have like a 20-part series to go, okay? But let's just look at a couple. First, behold, let's start here. What, what do I behold about God's love? I behold the Father's Pleasure. Would you turn to Ephesians 1 with me? Go to Ephesians 1. Some things to behold about God. As we behold, the grace of God leads us to become these things. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Paul says, Blessed be the God and what? One more time. Blessed be the God and Father. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, notice this, according to the good pleasure of his will. According to the good pleasure of his will. 
Well, it made him delighted to do this. He was really happy to do this. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. What is Paul leading us to do? He's leading us to behold the Father's pleasure towards us. He's talking about adoption. This great work that God has done to where you, as a slave of sin, have now become a part of the family of God. We talked about this. But the big idea that Paul is trying to get our minds around when it comes to my right standing with God as a son or as a daughter of God, he wants us to understand that we didn't initiate it. Okay? Like So many of us are trying to keep our relationship with God intact like we are the ones who initiated it in the first place. We're trying to just gotta keep, gotta keep this thing going. You didn't start it. It's a relationship that God started that God actually promises to sustain and finish. It's his grace. And what Paul is really trying to get us to understand is this. You were adopted not because you said, all right, here's the thing. Um, I really need God. Will you be my dad? And God's like, what? I need a dad. Will you be my spiritual dad? Okay. No. The idea is even before you existed, God looked at you and said, I love them. I want them to be in my family. I will die on a cross so that they can be in my family. That's what Galatians says, that we are redeemed from the curse to become sons through the blood of Jesus. It was God's idea. It was his heart. He chose us first is the idea. That's why John says in 1 John 4, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. It was his good pleasure to make you his child. That's what he says. It was according to the good pleasure of his will. He made me a son, not because he had to. Because he wanted to. Like, do you get that? That that God is with you, not because he has to. Sometimes we can think that way. Like, God is with me always. He's like, yeah, I'm still here. Sheesh. And and sometimes it's hard to grasp that because, like, sometimes we don't even want to be around ourselves, you know? (laughs) Just me. Okay. Um, two other people are like, yeah, we can, yeah. But, okay. Hang out with me enough. You won't want to be around me, and I probably would want to break from you. Okay? Because there's a sense in which, you know, our love, it's only, it's, my tank is only so full, you know? So when, when God says that he's always with us, do we think of it the same way? Kind of putting up with me, still with me. I haven't read my Bible, and I don't even I don't even remember the last chapter of the Bible I read outside of a Bible study. Is he still with me? He's still with you. Because he has to be? No, because he wants to be. It's his pleasure to be your dad. He's pleased with you because you're in Christ. Because of Jesus. Remember what God said to Jesus. In Matthew 3, 17, after Jesus was baptized, check us out. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm pleased in him. Okay? Not because of what he does. This is before Jesus began his public ministry, performed any miracles, raised any dead, healed any sick, opened any blind eyes. Before he did his ultimate objective, which was to willingly lay down his life on the cross before he performs a single recorded work. God says, I'm pleased in him. I'm pleased in him. Do you know God that way? Do you know a God that doesn't love you because of your performance, but because you're his child? 
And listen, that, come on, even us broken fathers, we, can, we know this. Like, there's days where the kids, they're just not the best. They're just not at the top of their game. Okay? The other day, so I've, you know, I have three now. Uh, Penny's eight weeks old. Judah is my, uh, our oldest, our son. He's going to be five in August. Um, crazy. And then we have Evie right there in the middle. Um, Evie is just this ball of energy and love and betrayal, all wrapped, <laughs> all wrapped in this cute package in her little romper this morning. And all my kids are so different, and they have their own challenges and quirks of their own, but Evie's are so cute <laughs> and, and uh, difficult at times. Um, just her, her, here's what's so sweet about her. She's like, um, we call her the Sour Patch Kid, okay, because she's sweet, and then she's sour. Like, she rips out your heart and then goes, <laughs> and like, and you're like, you're like, keep it, <laughs> you know? It's, so the other day, the other day, like, I don't know if she feels it, or I think sometimes she's just copying Judah, but she grabs my face, and it was kind of like a movie, like, like encountering an alien, like it's happening, you know? And she starts coming in for a kiss, and I was like, Brittany, get out the phone, get out the phone, you know? And right as she's about to kiss me, she rams her forehead. <laughs> Have you ever been hit on the tip of your nose before? That will make you revisit words you used to say, okay? And I had the feeling of like, you know, like. And I, for a moment, I was like, Brittany, take her, you know. But then she runs over and she goes, sorry, Dad. You know what I did? I go, it's okay. <laughs> Listen, like, she's, she's my daughter. I love her. She's mine. My pleasure towards her. Listen, that hurt, okay? But <laughs> my pleasure is not about what she does. It's about who she is. My pleasure for Judah, my son, any of my kids, it's not based upon whether or not they did their chores. It's because they belong to me. You belong to God. And he's pleased with you because you're his. And his pleasure towards you is that of, of Christ. You're in Christ. So he looks at you and he says, this is my beloved son and daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Not because they did anything. Let's look at this next one. We need to behold, write this down, the Father's presence. Let's flip a little bit again here. John 17. We behold the Father's pleasure. And that pleasure involves... Um, the withness, W-I-T-H-N-E-S-S, the withness, the presentness of his presence. In John 17, look at this in John 17, verse 3. John 17, verse 3 says, Jesus speaking, and this is eternal life. Jesus is speaking to his Father, that they may know you. Speaking about us. The one true God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. And then verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth, he says, speaking to his Father. I have finished the work, with, work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, check us out, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So Jesus is speaking of his relationship to God. 
the withness that, that the son had, that the only time we see this withness torn apart is on the cross where Jesus doesn't call him father, but he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But, but prior to that cross, prior to Jesus being rejected so that we could be accepted is the idea there. Jesus is speaking of who he was. Who was Jesus, Emmanuel? He was God with us. He brought the nearness of God's presence back to us. So that Ephesians says, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Nearness, the nearness of God. The withness of God. And Jesus is saying, this is what eternal life really is. He's speaking to his father. He's saying, man, the withness we had before and the witness will have forever. He says, I've declared it to those that are with me, and I've given them eternal life, which eternal life, it's not living forever. It's knowing the Father in nearness with the Son. We get brought into the beauty of this relationship, of, of the triune Godhead, of this overflowing love that exists there between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. The witness of God. And, and so this is, listen, this is how God often encourages many of his servants in the Bible. Like, and it's kind of funny because it's, oftentimes we're expecting more from God, right? Like, so Moses, when he's commissioned to go lead the people out of slavery in Egypt and deliver them, you know, and the whole thing, Moses goes, <laughs> Moses goes, but who am I, God? Who, and I don't know, I wonder what Moses was saying. I'm sure he was, he could have been humble, like, God, I'm nothing. Or maybe it was a little bit of false humility, like, who am I? I want to know, who am I? You know, what do you think? You know, like, who am I? You chose me. Who am I? You know? And God's response is amazing. God goes, I'll be with you. Who am I, God? You're someone I'm going to be with. And that's enough. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? The withness of God. And then Moses dies and Joshua comes on the scene. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Got to lead these people. And, and God says to Joshua, Joshua, Moses is dead. Go. Be strong and courageous. As I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. And then Jesus comes to bring the nearness of, that, of that, the security of God's presence to us. Now, I think what we need to understand about the withness of God is we need to learn to separate the theological reality of the omnipresence of God with the relational promise of the nearness of God. Let me say that again. We need to learn to distinguish between the, the theological reality of the omnipresence of God. What did David say in 139? Wherever I go, wherever I go, you're with me. I can't, I can't dip out from your presence. We learned that with Jonah. Whether on land or sea or air, wherever I am, God, you're with me. The omnipresence of God. He's outside of space and time. He's not bound by space and time. We need to learn to distinguish between when God talks about the, his omnipresence, listen, and his faithful relational presence. His faithful relational presence speaks of, let's think of it this way, a present presence. A present presence. Let, let me try to describe it this way. There's a difference between proximity and presence. Proximity does not always equal presence. Let me give you an example. Right now, some of you are not even paying attention to me. You're here, but you're not here, okay? You're, you're like me in high school, okay? Andrew Lundy, present. But trust me, I wasn't there. 
was thinking about after school, going to skate with Brian right there or something. Brian and I used to skate together. You know, I was, I was, think, I was thinking about what am I going to do later? Just thinking about things I shouldn't probably, okay? I was present, but I wasn't present. It was like an absent presence. And a lot of times we think this way about God, that God is an absent presence. He's in proximity to me, but is he present? Yeah, he's present. That's the promise that Jesus gives us. We can have the nearness of God. And what a great example for us as dads, isn't it? Um, Let's think of it this way. Proximity is your location, but presence is your attention. And how important is this in our day and age where there's more and more distractions? There's another text to reply to. There's another notification to see. There's another headline to read. There's another email to answer. There's another phone call. Like, one thing I'm learning is the art of not replying. Some of you are like, I know, Andrew. Trust me. Okay. And it's not because I don't love you. It's because I love my kids. And they need dad, because often I have to be so present elsewhere, they need dad to make sure that when I'm present, I'm present. The presence of death. Fathers, your kids need more than what you can give them. They need you. They need your presence. They need your attention. They need your focus. They need you to be a present presence. Like, don't answer the text. Put the phone away. Turn off the TV. A present presence. This is who God is. Let's let's wrap these up. We also want to behold the Father's provision. You You got finger strength for a couple more? Go to Matthew 7. The Father's provision, Matthew 7. Beholding the Father's pleasure, we behold the Father's faithful presence, um, and we got to behold the Father's provision. What, a, what an awesome teaching that Jesus gives here in Matthew 7. This is it. Look at this. Matthew 7, verse 9 says, Or what man is there among you who, if he, his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a serpent? Okay. Jesus is saying, like, who... He's not saying it would never happen. He's saying it's pretty unlikely with an average dad that if his son asked for bread to nourish himself, that the dad would not make him break his teeth with with a stone. Or if he says, can I get a fish? And the dad says, sure, here's a serpiente. That would be messed up. Okay? He says, who among you, who among you is doing that? Like, Dad, can I have some pizza? Sure, here's a viper. Like, who, he's, saying, he's saying this. He's saying, like, saved, unsaved, whatever you... Like, the average dad is good to their kids. They provide for their kids. They, they give them what they need. And so, so look what he says. If then, you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, this is a great principle, how much more? If you then, how much more God? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And Jesus even takes it a step further in the previous chapter. He says, he, he, the Father actually knows what we need even before we ask. He knows we need bread even before we know we need bread. He knows what you need before you knew you needed it. 
And just like an, an, an earthly dad knows to give basic gifts to their children, how much more your heavenly father, he'll provide for you. Jesus is speaking to the provisional nature of God. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides. I mean, the, the Bible says it kind of simply in, in James 1.17. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above. And this is huge. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. You know, we, we talked about this idea that he doesn't have a dark side. The, the, the Father of lights, of illuminating goodness, he provides. I mean, when God created man, like, let's look at basic provision. Jesus says, the rain falls on the, on the just and the unjust. God provides for everyone. Just basic humanity, God provides. The sun shines on the, on the just and the unjust. When God created man, you know, it wasn't hunger games. Like, go, go, go figure it out. When God created man, he provided oxygen for us to breathe. He provided food for us to eat. He provided companionship for us to enjoy. He's a provider. He's always been a provider. It's who he is. It flows out of who he is. He's a good, good father that gives good gifts to his children. And certainly, like, as, let's, you know, the principle, I think, is obvious you know, in a basic sense. Proverbs 13 says that a good man, here's a good man, leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for righteous. So, like, we should provide as dads like God provides for us, right? Is that not, that's, that's pretty basic. Uh, the Bible says in, in 1 Timothy 5, it actually says, like, if you are, like, involved in ministry and in the church, but you're, you're failing to provide for your family, your first ministry, Paul says some tough words. He says, you're actually worse than a non-believer. So the, the Bible speaks very strongly about the, the call of dads to provide. Um, you know, even this proverb says, it's, you know, a good man knows why and how to make money. A sinful man, he doesn't. So when he dies, I love this, the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Because he was hoarding it, when he dies, he doesn't get to keep it. But as a dad who's saving up for your children, you get to keep that money even after you die because it goes to your children. You're leaving inheritance. You're providing. You're being like God. Um, which this is just, I think it's good to say this, right? Like the Bible doesn't say anything about it being sinful to make money. Did you know that? It's not in the Bible. Money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. Money is an amoral object that can be used for good and tearing uh, and building up and be used for bad for tearing down. Um, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. The, the, the worship of money is, is dangerous. It's destructive. So much so that Jesus says it's, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God because of the power of money and the pull of money. But making money, you should do that. <laughs> Like, but here's the difference. You should make a lot of money. You shouldn't keep a lot of money. It's not if you make money, it's what do you do with it? Are you generous with it? Do you give it away? Do you save it up for your, it's, it's the idea here is about a heart to provide like God, not hoard. And so this provisional heart, this simple wisdom and, and, and proverb, but let's go back to what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Jesus is speaking about the, God's provision in a greater sense than just what he goes on to say, that God gives us our clothing and our food. In Luke's version, this is what's interesting. In Luke's version, it's Luke 11, and Jesus actually here in Matthew 7, he says that the Father will give good things to his children that ask him. In Luke's version, Luke 11, it says that the Father, listen to this, what a great promise. The Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. God, I need your spirit. Okay, I'm a provider. 
I provide my spirit for you. God, I'm really having a hard time being a light at work. Well, it's because you're running on empty. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because you're a leaky vessel. The good news is God gives free refills. So you can come to him and say, God, I need your spirit. And he goes, I'll give you my spirit. So Jesus is speaking about the nature of God the Father as a provider to provide us as children with the power of his spirit in our lives. Now, let me say this about dads. Um, A sobering reality of parenting that I'm learning, I've always known it from my experience as a son, but you cannot give your children the Holy Spirit. You can't. It's a a sobering reality that leads you to surrender, doesn't it? Because you know who can. I can't give Judah, Evie, or Penelope the Holy Spirit. The way Jesus actually tells a parable in Matthew 23, and he says, you got to, basically he says this, you got to buy your own oil. You can't borrow other people's oil. I can't provide my kids with the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean I cannot provide the things of the Spirit. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want to use me as a channel and a vessel to bless my children spiritually. In fact, the Bible teaches this concept, this generational effect of dads, listen, who provide more than material things that are going to burn away. But dads who lay up their treasure in heaven, and so that what they're providing at home is more than a comfortable environment and a good education, and a nice car, and a a nice security. There's a need in this world for dads to provide the things of the Spirit. Your children, dads, need the things of the Spirit. It's what they are most thirsty for. And nothing else you provide for them will give them or will quench that need. They need the things of the Spirit. So let's ask a few questions. Um, What are you providing? at home. What sort of, uh, let's start here, what, what sort of example of Christianity are you providing? What version of following Jesus are they learning from you? If you were the only Christian that they ever watched, what would be their version of Christianity? Um, what sort of model of marriage are you providing? What sort of tone in the home are you providing? What are you providing? Now, it's pretty quiet in here, isn't it? Um, by the way, I, I wish I could be sitting in this. I wish someone else could be preaching this to me. I want you to know that God's, I don't preach what I don't eat. I hope you know that, okay? Um, something I was reminded of. You can't provide what you don't have. So silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ, I give you. Dads, come back to the Father. Receive what you need from him. Turn from your sin. Repent. He, he's, he's the, who are we? We're the prodigal. Who is he? He's the Father. Running after us to meet us halfway, to wrap us up, wrap us, us, up, us up in his arms to fill us up with all that we need so that we can provide those things at home. He's looking at you, Dad. 
You want your family environment to change? You gotta look in the mirror. You gotta take an honest evaluation of where am I leading us? And the good news of God is he says, follow me. Follow me and I will make you. I will make you. I'll give you what you need. Can we uh, invite the worship team up? And I'll, I think this one is a good one to close with. It's the Father's protection. It, 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 it kind of ties into what we were just saying. Would you turn to our last scripture here, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Um, like, I don't need too many Bible verses to tell you that dads like to protect their kids, right? Some of you are like, you know it, all right? Um, like, mothers too, don't get me wrong. Like, mothers for sure, you know. But there's something about dad. Every night before, my family says, I'm never the last, I'm never, I shouldn't say never, never say never, Justin Bieber, but um, I'm, I'm rarely, I'm rarely the first person, I can almost feel like I can't remember time, who goes to sleep first in my, my home. Part of it is because I'm a night owl and Brittany is not, but Every night before bed, I check every door. And Brittany trusts in the security that I'm going to do that. Even though I know I locked it, any dads, you're like, I got to double check the lock, you know? That's a good thing to do. It's a, it's a natural tendency for dads to protect. And of course, God, we know that he protects. Um, but you know, there's more ways to protect your kids than just from outside physical harm. In fact, Hebrews, look at Hebrews 12. Would you look at this with me? Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 5, speaks about God's love for his children that protects his children. God protects his children, not just from outside physical harm, but God is such a gracious and loving God towards his children that God likes to protect his children from self-inflicted harm, from harm that they can do against themselves, from the harm of of the consequences of their actions. So a good dad, here's what Hebrews says. It says, something we should remember. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. I'm going to speak to some of the dads in here and really encourage you to receive this. My son, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. Don't let his rebuke discourage you. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges and disciplines every son whom he receives. He says in verse 7, if you endure endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there among a father who, among whom a father does not chasten? But if you're without chastening, if you're not being disciplined, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us. We paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of the spirits, subject ourselves to him? For they indeed, for a few days, you're grounded, a few days, chastened us, as seemed best to them, but he for our profit. The best discipline of a father is flawed at best. Best of man is man at best. And so they, they do it for the best, for your profit. But, but what's best then? But God does it for his profit. Look at this, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, ever, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Judah got disciplined yesterday. And 
um, after this whole, you know, circus, we're talking, okay, Jude, I want to pray with you right now, okay? We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to help you, and he's learning to do that. And um, we pray, and I say this long prayer with him. And Lord, help Judah to obey. Help Judah to listen. And then I go, in Jesus' name, and Judah goes, amen. It was like this long, depressing amen. And all God's people said, amen. You know, why? You know, because in that moment, it didn't feel good. You know, it, 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 was, it felt like, listen, it didn't feel like dad was trying to protect Judah from future harm that could come if he doesn't learn the consequences of sin. It, didn't feel, it felt more like prevention, his consequence. A lot of times we think that way, right? God isn't protecting me. He's preventing me from enjoying something. That's how, in the, come on, isn't that our kids? When we slap their hand away from the, from the electrical socket, you're preventing me from electricity, you know? No, I'm protecting you because I love you. And listen, my discipline towards you is not an extension of my disappointment with you. My discipline towards you is the validation that you're my child and I love you and I care about you. And for some of you, that's foreign to you in your relationship with God because, well, again, you've always seen discipline as punishment, consequence for your wrongdoing, disconnected from relationship, disconnected from a love of, of, and the warmth of a heavenly father. And I believe what God would want to say to some of our dads in this room today is, listen, I scourge the son that I love. And though it hurts sometimes, it's because I love you. And though the words, even today, that we studied might, might have wounded you a bit, it's because I love you. I love you and I love your family so much that, listen, faithful are the words of, a, of the wounds of a friend. I'm going to wound you with some hurtful things because I'm producing something out of you. That's the Father's protection. Now, let's go back to this big idea. What you become... What you behold determines who you become. You become what you behold. Coming into this place this morning, what are you beholding? What has your attention? What has your gaze? It's determining what you're becoming. So today we're reminded of this good news that if we behold the manner of love that God has has lavished on us. If we fix our gaze on that, dads, we just got to focus on that love from the Father. It's not about being a, a call to be a father. It's a call to be a son. You know God in that way, and you are transformed into the dad that he's called you to be.